So this, this question of why do bad things happen is one of, if not the oldest question that humans have asked. It has troubled humans throughout all of history. In every culture, in every society, we have always been troubled by this question, why do bad things happen? Bad things happen when we don't expect it. Everything was just fine. We had everything planned out. Everything was supposed to work out just fine. And then things take horrible turns that are totally unexpected. Bad things happen when we don't deserve it. Bad things happen to people who don't deserve bad things to happen to them. It seems very unfair. It seems unjust. People feel pain. People suffer for no reason. It's unfair. It's unjust. It's wrong. And so we seek to understand it. Why? Why are these things happening to me? Why are these things happening to other people? Humans have always struggled with this. Why do bad things happen? And we have discussed this, and every culture and every society has discussed this, and they all came up with various approaches and various answers, differing answers, to address this subject no matter where they lived or how they lived. Everybody struggled with the same problem. Why and how do bad things happen? In fact, in the English language, we have a special term for the subject of why bad things happen. Theodicy is the study of why bad things happen. So it's its own subject, but it's been a subject that's been discussed extensively in each and every society. Now, Jews have been troubled by this question from the earliest times like everybody else. Abraham challenges God, asking when Hashem is going to destroy the region of Sodom, he challenges him, Ha'af tispet tzadikim rasha, Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? How can you do such a thing? How can you? He challenges God. Moses questions God. Why have you done bad to this people? How can you cause suffering? David questions God. Says in Psalms, Keli, Keli, Lama Azavtani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We even have in our Hebrew scriptures... In our Tanakh, we have a book specially dedicated to this question. The book of Eov, or in English, Job, which is a book that addresses, that is 42 chapters, dealing with this particular question of why does God do, uh, why do bad things happen? Why does God allow bad things to happen? So this question has been addressed extensively in Jewish thought. We once did a class on Eov, on the book of Job, where we then discussed it in the, this question in the context of that book. And despite all that has been written on it in Judaism and by others outside of Judaism, so much has been written. There is a library of information on it, in, on this question of why bad things happen, particularly for a believer, why God allows bad things to happen. And there's a wealth of books and essays written on this subject. 
in, including in Judaism itself. And yet, despite all that has been written on it, and all that has been discussed on this, and the extensive size of the library of information on theodicy and theories and ideas and perspectives, people continue to struggle with the question in the same way that we did thousands of years ago. As a teacher, I feel that this question somehow comes up in almost every single class that I give. It is the question that keeps coming up. There's a few others that come up fairly often, but this one is by far the most common question. And I seldom address it when it does come up because I know that if I do attempt to address it, it will derail the class. It will take over whatever subject I'm trying to address, which is my goal at the time, and therefore I avoid addressing this subject in classes not specially dedicated to it as we're doing today. Um, I have given classes on this subject, at least more than a dozen that I was able to find um, while preparing for today. Um, both directly I've addressed it and in passing while addressing another subject where it was like in the class on Job, where it was central to the subject regardless. And yet people keep asking about it and keep wanting to hear about it. So I cannot today, <laughs> in the short time that we have, I cannot cover um, hundreds of books, um, thousands of essays. I cannot cover all that is written on the topic. I don't even claim to know all that is written on the topic or to have read all that is written on the topic. Um, it is not something that I am extensively familiar with or have studied in very, very great detail and very great depth. But I will try as best as I can to give you an overview of the Jewish perspective on this question. Now, before we begin to address the question of why bad things happen, I want to point out most of the time, not most of the time, just about all the time that people ask this question, why do bad things happen? They are not asking it as an intellectual question, a question of curiosity. I would like to study and understand why bad things happen. When people ask the question, as Abraham did, as Moses did, as David did, as Job did, they're not asking the question as an intellectual curiosity. They're asking the question out of emotional pain. A person who is either experiencing bad, suffering, pain, or witnessing somebody else experiencing suffering, pain, or has witnessed suffering or pain, and is asking the emotional question, how can this happen? Why is this happening? Explain this to me. They're not asking for an explanation. It's not an intellectual question. It's an emotional question. So most of the time, just about all the time when this question is asked, it is not being asked as a question of intellectual curiosity or a question of an intellectual pursuit, like you would ask to try to understand the laws of physics or try to understand mathematical concepts or philosophy. It's an emotional question. And the truth is, that it, you cannot answer an emotional question with an intellectual argument. It doesn't work. Emotional questions require emotional responses. An emotional question requires a psychologist to answer, not a philosopher. 
Philosophers can't answer to people's emotion. They can answer intellectual questions. Philosophy won't answer an emotional, it can maybe help you a little emotionally sometimes, generally it won't answer. You need the psychologist who has emotional responses to emotional questions, or you need to deal with the human psyche and to deal with the way we, our human minds work in order to truly answer an emotional question. So usually when we address this question, it's asked as an emotional question, and most of the time the answer that we're going to give is going to be an emotional answer because the question's asked from an emotional perspective. Giving an intellectual question is not going to answer the emotional question. But today, I am going to avoid the emotional approach. So if somebody currently feels this emotional question, to some extent we all do at all times, because we all suffer or have gone through suffering or had know people who have suffered greatly and have witnessed suffering. So we all have this emotional question to some extent. So we're, today I am going to avoid the emotional question and emotional response. And my goal today is to address it from an intellectual perspective. So I'm going to ask you to do something difficult to try to block out the emotional feeling of how can this thing happen, why does this happen to me, or why does it happen to them, they don't deserve it, and ask you to put, put yourself in an intellectual state of mind to try to deal with this intellectually. So before I get to my answer, some people had questions on my questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? That is a very good point. If bad people, maybe bad things should happen to them. They deserve it. Very good point. But the question is, why do bad things happen? So for bad people, we have an answer. Right? So we still, there's still a question. We have an answer. Bad things happen to bad people because they deserve it. But Ellie's question is, why does it happen to people that don't deserve it? So I'm going to try to keep the question more general because that way we can... I'm going to ask the question, why do bad things happen? And then we're going to try to break it down, and that way it'll be easier to look at the answer. But you do have a very, very, very good point, very good question on my question. You know, that the joke is say, men plan God love? Yes. It's a Yiddish same thing. So, any other questions on my questions before we begin? Yes, Elise. Why do good or why do bad people sometimes not see seem to get punished for their actions? That's an excellent question. It seem to have it really good and get rewarded when they don't seem to deserve it. If you believe that everything people that happens to people is based on what they deserve, that's an excellent question and it definitely is related. It is definitely related. It is mentioned. Jeremiah asks this question famously, um, and uh, it's a subject of a different class. So. The very fact that we are asking the very fact that we are asking this question, how can bad things happen, implies that there is some purpose or some design behind what happens. If a person were to believe in a true Darwinist belief in a nature that works totally on its own by laws embedded in nature, laws of physics, 
and biology. That answers to no one, has no meaning, no purpose, no destiny, is not headed anywhere, has no manager, has nobody in charge. Often put in Jewish terminology, someone believes in the world or the universe being a jungle. A jungle where big animals eat small animals. And animals suffer all the time, and animals die, and animals are killed, and it's a jungle. That's what happens. That's the way the world works. If life has no meaning, humanity has no meaning, there's no purpose to anything, we are simply sophisticated animals that happen to have evolved to the point that we are smart enough that we somehow imagine that there is greater purpose, but in truth, we're just animals and everything is just natural and just runs on its own, then the question falls away. If things just happen by chance of nature, you can't ask in the jungle why the small animal is eaten by the big animal, because you know, the big animal needs to survive. It eats the small animal. There's no fairness. There's no fairness for one animal to um, survive and one animal not to survive. That's just, just the jungle. The big eats the small. That's just what happens. There doesn't necessarily, there isn't necessarily any good or bad. In such a belief, there is no such thing as true, objective, good or bad. It is what it is. It's just life going on as it goes on. Things, life includes good things, life includes bad things. Some people do bad and do really well as a result. Some people do bad and don't do so well. Sometimes it pays to do good. Sometimes it doesn't pay. That's just, that's just the way reality is. There's just no rhyme or reason to anything. There's no, no control. If somebody just believes in total chance of nature without anything happening, without any meaning to what happens, there's no room to ask, why did it happen? What do you mean, why did it happen? Why did the lion eat the deer? Because that's what it does. That's nature. Why did one person kill somebody else? That's what humans do. That's nature. That's what people do. That's what th that things happen. Why did somebody get cancer? Why did... Um, one group commit genocide. That's what people do. That's part of Darwinism, survival of the fittest. That's the way the world goes around. If somebody takes that perspective, life is unfair, life is unexpected, that's just life. You, go, you live in a jungle, that's just the way it is. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's why it happened. Some people are in the right place at the right time. Sometimes you can one moment be in the wrong place at the wrong time and a moment later you're in the right place at the right time. There's no way to predict anything. There's no, but the fact that we do ask this question and by and large all humans ask this question is evidence that humans naturally assume a meaning and purpose to what happens to us. We are conditioned to naturally assume that there is some sort of order. There is some sort of right and wrong. That bad things should not be happening for no reason. And whatever does happen is happening for a reason. We come to expect fairness. We come to expect justice. And we try to understand, therefore, when things are not fair and not just. We assume things happen for a reason, and then, and that's natural to our human state, clearly evidenced by the fact that all humans throughout history have always tried to figure this out, 
because we were troubled by it, assuming there is a reason, assuming there is a purpose, assuming that there is fairness and there is justice. So then when it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem just, that's when we begin to try to understand what is the reason. A fellow once came to the Rebbe and told the Rebbe that he is very, very upset about the Holocaust. He was a survivor. And therefore, he no longer believes in God. And the Rebbe responded to him, I don't believe you that you don't believe in God. Because if you truly didn't believe in God, you wouldn't be upset about the Holocaust. That's what happens. Survival of the fittest. Somebody rises to power and takes control of a nation and the nation can build big weapons and win wars and then they kill whoever they want. That's what happens. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in greater purpose and greater force, then why would it upset you? The fact that you're upset about it and bothered by it is because you do believe in God and you're struggling with that belief because it contradicts the events you've experienced. So we do assume, and humans do correctly assume, that there is purpose and there is meaning and there is a, some sort of creator, some force that has some level of control. And there is a reason for things and there should be fairness and there should be justice. And therefore we ask why the bad things happen. Try to, we, try to understand the why. If you don't believe in God, there's nothing to be upset about. It's only once you believe in God and once you believe in a fair and just world that you start, start asking, how come it never seems fair? How come it never seems just? Are we going to get an answer? Right. <laughs> Let's keep going. No, but you get more questions. Are we going to end up still like at the end of a movie when you <laughs> Maybe when we, when Mashiach comes up, we all go then. Then we're going to know the answer. Assuming that we do believe in God and justice and fairness. Now we ask the question, why do bad things happen? Assuming that our world is supposed to be just, supposed to be fair, bad things should not happen for no reason. So we ask, well, what then is the reason? Why do bad things happen? Or to add God into the mix, since we're presuming God when we ask the question, the question then becomes, how can God allow bad things to happen? That's the question. Now. This question, how can God allow bad things to happen, supposes three things. There's three suppositions that you must believe in order to be able to ask the question. If any of these three fall, if we get rid of one of these three suppositions, then the question falls away. Firstly, if you ask, how can God allow these bad things to happen? Firstly, you must believe, assuming God, right, that's a given, but you must believe that God has the power to stop bad things from happening and has chosen not to. The question, how did God allow it, assumes that God allowed it. He could have stopped it. He's somehow responsible for what's happening. So the question of how did God allow it assumes that God had the power to stop these bad things from happening. 
and is therefore somehow directly or indirectly responsible for what's happening. He should have done something about it. Why didn't he? Or he should not have allowed this to happen. Why didn't he? That is the question. But it assumes God has the power to stop bad things from happening and has chosen not to. Secondly, it assumes, this question, that God is good and cares for humanity and wants to be just and fair to us, is concerned that bad things should not happen to us. If God couldn't care less, even if he had the power to stop bad things from happening, but if he didn't really care about us and didn't really care what happened to us, well, then why did God allow the bad things to happen? Because he doesn't care. So it supposes that God is cares and is concerned about us and doesn't want us to suffer. And the third thing that it supposes is that what is truly happening, what is happening right now is really bad, is really something bad or something that's undeserved. It's really something bad. So when we ask this question, and all the societies throughout history have asked this question of how can God allow bad, bad things to happen, it supposes three things. There's three premises that we have to have in order to even ask the question. That God has the power to stop bad things from happening and has chosen not to. That God care is good and cares about us and is concerned about our suffering. And that we're truly suffering. That it's really bad what's happening to us. It supposes all three things. So, to resolve the question of why bad things can happen, it has been posited over the years in by many, many different people in many different societies again and again, that what you can simply do, and there's many answers given, but to understand the logic behind these answers, most of the answers generally what they do is they drop one of these th three um, presumptions. If we drop one of these three suppositions, then the question falls away. If we say God doesn't have the ability to stop bad things happening either all the time or some of the time or this time, well, we got stuck with fate sometimes. Maybe he doesn't have the power. Today he didn't. And that's why we suffer. One way of looking at it. If God is, and that answers the question. Another perspective, maybe God is not truly good and doesn't truly care about us. God's busy with other stuff. We're not on top of his mind right now and he's not really that concerned about uh, our suffering. If he's not really that concerned, um, or maybe God isn't just or fear to start with, or, um, then he allows bad things to happen. Or, and perhaps the most common approach that has been given is, that what's happening to us isn't really all that bad. It's really good. God's not allowing bad things to happen. And various theories explain, well, what you feel to be really bad is truly good. You just have to figure out how and why. So I'm going to break these down one by one. Now, each of these possible solutions has been suggested by many, many different thinkers over the years. Each of these are discussed in our book of Job. The book of Job offers multiple different possible answers, and there's some debate among commentaries how to understand each answer, but at least according to some commentaries, each of these, um, responding to each of these suppositions, um, or dropping one of these suppositions, is each possibility is actually addressed in the book of Job as well as a possibility as to why there is suffering. 
And yet we're going to see that dropping each of these is going to be somewhat problematic, at least for us as Jews. So let's look at these solutions one at a time. So the first assumption is, we said, that God is all. The first assumption that the question of why does God allow things to happen is that God is all-powerful. So many people respond, well, who said God is all-powerful? Perhaps, firstly, God is unaware. Maybe he just doesn't know what's happening in our world. Sometimes he tunes out. Or he doesn't, he doesn't know the details, the small little details of what's happening in our world. Or maybe he doesn't control the small things. And there's a few different ways to look at this. Some people say that this is true, at least for bad actions performed by other humans. When one human causes suffering to another human. Well, God has all powerful, but God also gave us free choice. So as part of free choice, he has to allow the human choosing bad to harm the other human unfairly and unjustly. And so, yes, God is truly all-powerful, yet they suggest that, that God cannot really control what humans are doing. He can if he wanted to, but he doesn't because he wants to give us free choice. Now, that doesn't explain bad events that happen naturally but it explains at least events that are done by other humans. They'll take it further. People that use this argument take it further, and they will say that uh, maybe God has limited control on nature as well. God could control nature to some extent, but ultimately nature includes certain negatives, and that's how God created the world. Maybe he didn't do such a good job in creation. Somehow, God didn't do a good job. And Therefore, there's a lot of evil in the world and a lot of suffering and a lot of naturally occurring bads, hurricanes and earthquakes and diseases and all sorts of other naturally occurring bad, bad things. And so therefore, as a result, accidents, and therefore, as a result, um, God simply cannot always help you when you are in trouble. So this is a very, very common approach. Um, somebody mentioned to me um, the famous book, How, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Um, it, was a, it was a bestseller. Um, that was the approach taken by that book, um, although I believe the author later retracted um, his um, answer in that book. But that is um, for the reason I'm about to give, reasons I'm about to give. But that is a common answer. This is problematic in Judaism from a theological perspective. It's also, as we're going to see, problematic to anyone from a humanistic perspective. From a theological perspective, it is firstly clear in Judaism we believe that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. There are many verses in our scripture that describe this very clearly. One example is where it says, In Isaiah, if a person hides, will I not see him? God can see everything. God knows what's going on. In Psalms we say, Hashem God even knows what is in your heart. God knows everything. God is aware of everything. God is all-knowing. So nothing is hidden from Him. Furthermore, we believe that God is all-powerful and responsible for every single thing that happens. When Moses tells God, I cannot speak, 
I have a speech impediment. How can you send me to Pharaoh and to lead the people out of Egypt? God responds to Moses, Who gave a person the mouth? Who makes people mute? Who makes people, um, who makes people be able to speak? Who makes people blind? Who's responsible for all the human ailments? Hello, Anachi Hashem, is it not I, God? I'm responsible for all your suffering. He says it very clearly. He takes responsibility for it. He is, and many times God says that I'm the one that places disease on people. I'm the one that causes suffering. It's coming from me. Hashem says, I'm doing everything. Nothing is more powerful than God. Nothing can stop him. In fact, Jews believe in what we call in Hebrew, hashkacha pratit, often translated divine providence. We believe that God is in control of every single thing at every single moment. God is in control of what happens to us. Maybe one day we could do a class on divine, the Jewish belief in divine providence. I don't know if we've done it yet. So we, I'll, get, I'll take your question a moment. So, so we Jews believe in divine providence. We believe God is in control in every minute thing that happens to us. Every small thing God is involved in, whether it is caused naturally or caused by humans. Now, how can we have free choice? And at the same time, what happens to us is, a is as a result of God. That is a very big question. We did a class once on it where we spoke about free choice. Um, we did a class on it. It's on the podcast. And uh, that's an excellent question that I'm going to ask you to put aside, put down for now, um, put, the, put, put the question down for now. And, um, but we do believe that God has total and absolute control. Nothing is more powerful than him. God is aware of our suffering. Whenever we suffer, God is aware of it. And God can change our suffering if he chooses to do so. So the suggestion that somehow God is not in control is counter to our fundamental Jewish beliefs. God is in absolute control of every single thing that happens to us. Not only is it theologic, not only is this perspective that God is somehow not in control theologically problematic, it is also problematic from a humanistic perspective. If God is not in control, then we live in a universe with no fairness and no justice. If God is not in control, then there is no fairness. We go back to that response we had earlier. We said without believing in some sort of control, some sort of meaning to reality, to our world, then there's no question how bad things happen. But we humans cannot accept that. We struggle to it. We get upset when bad things happen. And we naturally ask why. Why are these things happening? It's unfair. It's unjust. In other words, we naturally expect there to be fairness and there to be justice. Suggesting that somehow God is not in control means that there is no fairness. It means that there is no justice. It means that when we suffer, it is for no purpose. There is no one to blame for it. We just live in a jungle. We're simply out of luck. 
Our suffering is for nothing. So theologically, all this is possible, although Judaism says theologically, saying that God is not in control is wrong. Judaism believes that God is in absolute control. Our natural human expectations of, of fairness and justice have trouble accepting the possibility that God is not in control or there is no force of justice and fairness in this world. We struggle to accept as humans that we live in a jungle where just as animals eat each other, humans do too. And nature does too. And that's just kind of, you're, you're just out on luck. That's just what happens. We have trouble accepting that. So the second, so that's the first solution. I apologize for the noise coming from downstairs. Sounds like a microphone. So that's the, the first solution or the first proposition is that, that, that supposition that the belief that um, of the question of why bad things happen relies on is that God is in control in, people suggest maybe God's not in control, I'm not aware, or not fully in control. We believe that God is in absolute control of everything that is happening. So the second solution that people suggest, Caleb, can you ask him if he could lower the volume a little? So the second solution is that maybe the second supposition is that we only ask a question, God has to be in control, but also has to care that we are suffering. If maybe God is in control, but he doesn't really care. It doesn't bother him. He has bigger problems to worry about, bigger fish to fry. He's not worried about your suffering. Then, well, that's why you suffer. You suffer because God's not really involved at this very moment. So that proposition is again rejected in Jewish theology because it undermines our very understanding of God. Our fundamental beliefs in Judaism believe that not only is God aware of what's happening and controls what happens in our world, God deeply cares about everything that's happening. If God didn't care about us, and about our suffering, then by extension, he wouldn't care about what we did either. You could do whatever you want. He doesn't really care. He doesn't care about it too much. If he didn't care about it, then we could do whatever we want. Our belief in God is that God wants us to follow his instructions, which implies that he does care about us, cares about what we do. And by extension, he also cares about what happens to us. In fact, from Scripture, it is clear that when we are suffering, God feels our, our pain. God is there with us. Isaiah says, Whenever we are in pain, God is in pain. God feels his pain, our pain. When Moses asked God, while the people were slaves and suffering in Egypt, Moses asks God, what is your name? God says, gives him a very unusual name that's never used again in scripture. Ekeyeh, asher ekeyeh. I am that which I am. And our sages say, what does he mean I am? Eyeh imam b'tzarazu. I am with them in their troubles. As they are feeling their pain, I am feeling it with them. 
like a parent that feels their child suffering and cries alongside their child, we believe that when we suffer, when we are in pain, God suffers with us and feels the pain with us. He deeply cares about us. So, two <coughs> basic suppositions we've spoken about with behind the question, why do bad things happen? Firstly, after that there is a God, that God, and that is, firstly, that God is in absolute, knows what's happening to us and is in absolute control of what's happening to us. We definitely believe that in Judaism. Secondly, God cares about us and cares about what's happening to us. We believe that too, that God is there with us and cares about us and is aware of what's happening to us. Which then raises the question, how then can bad things happen? How can bad things happen if God is... If God is with us and God... If God could control and stop our suffering, should he choose to do so? And God is in control of our suffering. And... God feels our suffering and is hurt by our suffering, feels our pain and deeply cares for us. Well, why then does he allow it to happen? Why is he allowing us to suffer? So the third supposition is that we're suffering. And so the most, perhaps the most common answer given, and the answer that at least from a Jewish perspective, has some truth to it, but not entirely, as we'll see, is that we're not suffering. You only think you're suffering, but you're not really. Now, how can that be? How can I think I'm suffering, but I'm not really? So there can be a number of different possible answers to that. For one, we can say that while, yes, it's painful now, but you don't see the big picture. Yes, it's painful, but you need to go through this pain in order to receive a much greater gift at the end. No pain, no gain. You gotta work hard, you gotta go through challenge. Childbirth is the greatest pain that a person can feel. And yet the birth at the end is the greatest reward a person can receive. Evidenced by the fact that women, after they've gone through childbirth once, tend to do it again. It clearly was worth it. If they did it again, some do it multiple times. Clearly, they felt the pain was worth it. So you may suffer pain, but it pays in the end. So yes, we're experiencing pain now, but you've got to suffer. You've got to put your kid into school. They feel separation anxiety, but that way you teach them to go off on their own. They grow from it. You put your child in bed and let them cry to teach them to soothe themselves to sleep. Otherwise, they'll never know how to put themselves to sleep as adults. It's worth it. Yes, they're crying now, and yes, as a parent, you feel their pain. When we do it with our kids, my wife likes to go in the shower so she doesn't hear them crying. And you feel their pain. 
they're in, but you know you need to do it. You got to let them cry. If they don't learn to soothe themselves to sleep, the kid children will have sleep trouble later in life. You got to teach them. It's painful. So you got to teach them to ride a bike. They're going to fall again and again and again. And they're going to scrape themselves and hurt themselves. It's the only way they're going to do it. So yes, if you don't go through pain, you're not going to grow. And this could be true even the greater things in life. Sometimes we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You lost your job. You're stuck. What am I going to do? But you don't realize around the corner is a much better job coming your way. Your marriage fell apart. But you don't realize that around the corner is a much better person for you, waiting for you. And so on. There are, you go through pain, but you don't realize this pain is going to lead you to much, bring out great things within you. And you're going to become, you're going to learn different skills, and you're going to learn hidden talents that you had, and you are going to, in the end, gain from the pain, and it pays. Now this is true much of the time. And the reality is that often when we are in pain, it is true. Much of the time. And often, especially the smaller pains, the small suffering, the little stuff that we sweat over, nor m most of the time, it ends up paying off for us. And it was worth it in the long run. And that does tend to be true. And so it's an answer that emotionally, at least, we should tell ourselves because it is effective. And it often is true. And it will also help us get us through our suffering. That's why it works emotionally. But it doesn't always work out. Doesn't always work. Some people lose their jobs and they never get jobs and they end up becoming homeless. Some people get divorced and they never find the right one and never become happy and they end up dying single. Some people end up getting sick and they don't end up healing and they end up dying from their illness. It definitely doesn't help when someone tragically dies. How are you going to justify that? They're gone. Assuming that they didn't deserve to die, um, how whatever it, good it may end up bringing to their family and friends ended up becoming closer as a result of their death or whatever else that happened to the family and friends as a result, positives, it doesn't justify their death. They're gone. So while this approach is often true, it's not always true. It answers many of the cases of suffering, but it does not answer all the cases of suffering. There are clearly countless times when people suffer and there is no gain at the end. Perhaps the most common religious response to suffering is that if someone is suffering and they're not gaining as a result, or maybe if they are gaining even, they somehow deserve it. It comes, as Ellie mentioned earlier, the bad people suffer because they deserve to suffer. It's a response. We believe that God pays rewards and punishes rewards for good actions, punishes for bad actions. And so, therefore, if somebody suffers, they deserve to suffer. And in this approach, the suffering is deserved. Or if we take a more positive approach, the suffering isn't deserved, but it cleanses the person. It cleanses the evil inside of them, allowing them to then receive a greater good. So it has a purpose for greater good, similar to the previous answer. And this may be true. 
And then we would say, what about people who are good people? They didn't do anything wrong. And so the person who takes this approach would respond, well, maybe you did, and you're unaware of it, or you forgot about it. Maybe there is something deep inside you that is bad, that God is cleansing you through this suffering. And the truth is that that sometimes, and that may be true sometimes. And in fact, our sages said that if somebody suffers, you shall seek your actions. Go back and say, maybe there is, maybe I am deserving of this. Sometimes you may be. Maybe there is something I can fix and change in order to improve my situation. And that may be true, that your current suffering is as a result of something that you have done in the past that you may have forgotten about or may not have realized that it was bad. Pay attention. Think about what you've done. Did you maybe do something wrong in the past? And so this answer is often, there's some truth to it that we believe bad people deserve to suffer and do suffer as a result. We believe in the concept of punishment. We further believe that often people who even did a little bit of bad may suffer because for the bad they did in order to cleanse them. We further believe you may not be aware of the bad that you're, deserve, that you're deserving to suffer for, but you're suffering nonetheless. But that's all true, and it's, we believe that in Judaism. However, that doesn't answer all cases. There are definitely certain scenarios where it is clear that a person does not deserve to suffer. Sometimes you can look back at your actions and say, no, there is nothing that I could have done that could possibly result in this kind of suffering. Or look at another person and say there is nothing they could have possibly done to result in this kind of suffering. Or look at perhaps a child if someone wants to argue, oh, there must be something that you don't know, which isn't necessarily always true. But take a child, a baby, who's suffering. They never did anything wrong. Why would they be suffering? What about a large number of people that are suffering? Huge number of people suffer. Could they all have done something wrong? Would, could they all really be deserving it? Is that realistic? So, sorry? Why would passion be good to forgive our sins? Well, we ask God for forgiveness. Hopefully, then we don't suffer. So, we're suffering anyway. So, some would then say, some would then say that, yes, you may not be deserving of suffering in this world, but maybe you were here in a previous life, and maybe you are now paying for something that you have done in a previous life. And not that God could punish you for actions of a previous life because you are not responsible for somebody else's actions. But God is cleansing your soul through this suffering for the stain that is on your soul from actions of an earlier person that perhaps shared a soul with you. Now, and this explains essentially a good result that yes, you're suffering, you don't deserve it, but there will be a good result from your suffering that your soul is not cleansed. 
And while this could be theoretically possible, that every time a child suffers, every time a baby suffers, every time a good person suffers, every time a large number of people suffer, all of which are impossible to justify because they deserved it, say, well, it's cleansing something from their soul. But it's hard to really believe that the true people, good people, who are really suffering, who don't deserve to suffer, who did nothing wrong, who justly should only have good, are suffering because of something somebody did perhaps generations ago? Is that truly fair? Is that truly just? Is that truly right? Could it even be true? Large numbers of people die or suffer from a natural disaster, from a genocide, and they're all suffering because of something someone did, people did in earlier generations, is that really possible? So we're left with our question. We're left with our question. We have three basic suppositions that are all true to some extent. Firstly, we believe absolutely that God is in total, absolute control, aware of everything that happens to us and in total control of everything that happens to us. Secondly, we believe that God truly cares about us and what happens to us and feels the pain when we suffer. And thirdly, while it is true that sometimes our suffering leads to good in the end, so it's worth it, and sometimes our suffering is justifiable because we deserve it, while that is true some of the time, even much of the time, it doesn't answer 100% of the time. There are definitely times when people suffer caused by God who cares about us and feels that suffering and the person is undeserving of that suffering and is not going to gain from that suffering and yet they are suffering nonetheless. So all of these answers as that we just gave are all offered in the book of Job. All of them are rejected by Job one by one. And then in the book of Job, God appears to Job at the very end, after a very, very long 39-chapter discussion, 37-chapter discussion. God appears to Job, and it says, Now God answers Job and says, Who will contend with the Almighty and make themselves a master? Who will argue with God? Let them answer it. He says, he continues, he says, Gird your loins like a man, I will ask you and you tell me. Will you ever make void my judgment? Will you condemn me in order that I be justified? Do you have an arm like God? Do you thunder like him with your voice? God questions Job. God says, Job, you think you have the answers. Will you hear? Will you there when he created the heavens? Were you there when he created the earth? Do you understand the ways of God? Are you going to seek to understand it? Will you ever understand my ways? In fact, Moses in the Torah asks God, show me your ways. And God says, no man can see me and live. God answers Moses and Job. And everybody else who asked that question, you have a very good question. But you will never understand the answer. Yes, it's true 
God is all-powerful. And God controls all that is happening, including your suffering. And yes, it is true. God feels your suffering along with you and cares deeply about the fact that you are suffering and is greatly hurt by your suffering. And yes, while sometimes that suffering is going to lead to greater good, and often will lead to greater good, and sometimes a person is deserving, it doesn't always explain suffering. Ultimately, you will not, you cannot understand my ways. It is beyond human comprehension. God says, it's true. I am good. I don't want you to suffer. And I make you suffer nonetheless. And you will never, ever understand, or you will never for now understand that contradiction. You cannot understand it. You will not be able to understand it because you are human and I am God. And I created you in a way that you should not be able to answer this question. So you'll keep asking it again and again and again and be bothered by it and be troubled by it. You will not be able to find the answer. I'm never going to reveal it to you. As hard as you try, humans are incapable of ever coming up with the answer to this question. You will never understand it. And that's why we've always asked the question. Because we don't have a good answer. We keep asking the question. Because we don't know the answer. But we do have an answer for why we don't know the answer. Why is it? Why can't God just tell us? Why doesn't he tell us? Why doesn't he let us know and resolve this once and for all? Because God placed us here on earth with a mission and a purpose. And part of that mission and purpose is to alleviate suffering. If you understood why people suffer, if you truly understood why someone is suffering, you would say, all right, it's okay. Let them suffer. Let them keep going. Don't worry. They're supposed to be suffering. It's no big deal. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to... Um, when you're in labor, um, your wife's in labor. I've experienced it a couple times. And uh, your wife's, you know, not in a pleasant state. And the nurses walk in and out, and they're, they're totally unconcerned. They see it, you know, 50 times a day, 100 times a day every day. It's, it's kind of normal for them. And they'll, you know, they'll, you know they, they do their thing, and they walk in and out, and they hear screaming, and they, they don't care. They're not, it doesn't, it doesn't impact them whatsoever. They've become numb to it, um, as they should be, because they've, they experience it all day, every day. And so if we had an answer, and of course they know why you're suffering in order to, there's, a, there's birth at the end of the tunnel. But if we had an answer to human suffering, we knew why people were suffering, then sure, let them suffer. That's just fine with us. Let them go ahead with it. Why should we stop it? Why should we try to alleviate the suffering? Why should we try to help them if we weren't truly bothered by it? God says, no, I'm going to make this not just a question, but the question that you will never understand. And you'll always go, not only are you never going to have an intellectual answer, you're never going to have an emotional answer. You're going to always struggle emotionally. And even though intellectually you could say, you know what, I don't believe in God. Or you could say, you know what, I don't think God's all-powerful. Oh, I don't think God truly cares. Or maybe they really believe, deserve it. Even though you can intellectually give those answers that we just suggested earlier and reject it. But emotionally, those answers don't work. 
And the next day you're going to say, but why am I suffering? And the person who says, oh, I understand the Holocaust because God doesn't exist. I don't believe in God. And the next day they say, how could God have allowed it? You just said yesterday you didn't believe in him. Yes, but how can God have allowed it? And therefore I don't believe in him. And I don't believe in him. And they say it with such a force. You know, they really do, but they're just upset. Because God placed it within us that we should be upset and emotionally charged by this question. Not just intellectually have this question and not have an intellectual answer. God said wants us to be emotionally charged by this question. And God wants us to then figure out what are we, how are we going to respond to it? What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about suffering? So yes, it is a big question. Why do bad things happen? Why do we suffer? Why is there pain? It is a question without an answer. It's a question that is part of the human condition. And it remains as a question. During the Yom Kippur War, 1973, it came just six years after the Six-Day War, when Israel had this euphoric victory over the Arabs. And then, just six years later, there was this sudden, unexpected attack. And at least early on, there were terrible losses. Thousands of Israeli soldiers died. This is just 25 years, or almost 30 years after the end of the Holocaust, the parents of many of these soldiers themselves are survivors. And they feel, and Israel is overwhelmed, will they even win this war? And so at that time, um, the Israeli government sent Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau, who at the time was chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, later became chief rabbi of Israel. They sent him, and he had, he has a, he's one of the best known Jewish speakers um, of the 20th century. And uh, they sent him to the United States to build American support for is Israel's war in, among American Jews. And so he came to the United States at the beginning of the war and um, went around from community to community and did big events and addressing the community, trying to drum up American political, Jewish political support to uh, encourage our, our government to support Israel, financial support. And uh, he, when he was there, he visited the Rebbe. And he was very down. He himself was a Holocaust survivor. And he was down because you know, things did not look up for Israel at the time, the first couple days of the war. Israel was not doing well. And it didn't look like they would do well. And um, he came, and the Rebbe asked him, what are they saying in Israel? What is the response of the Jews in Israel? And he said, everyone is saying, it's old Yiddish saying, what will be? What will be? What will be? And that's an old Yiddish saying when you're kind of in trouble and stuck. You say, oh, what will be? What's going to happen? The Rebbe said, that's a big mistake. You should never say what will be. You should always say, what can we do? What can we do about it? Because when there is suffering, we are supposed to ask ourselves, what can we do? How can we alleviate the suffering? Don't let it take over you. Don't let it overwhelm you. But rather say, how can I respond to it? What can I do about it? How can I alleviate this suffering? And that is why God does not give an answer to this question. And not only doesn't give a, allow us to intellectually answer the question, 
God doesn't give us the ability to emotionally answer the question. We're always, even people that somehow find themselves an intellectual answer, still struggle with it emotionally because truly God created humans without an answer so that we shall always ask, what can I do? How can I alleviate suffering? How can I make sure there is no pain? How can I stop bad things from happening? How can I heal people who are sick? How can I help people who are financially down? How can I help people who are in a um, personal crisis? What can I do? How can I get out? If I'm in a crisis, how can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? But God did give us one ray of hope. God did promise us that even though we currently don't understand suffering and we cannot resolve this paradox of why bad things happen, we don't truly have an answer. We, will, we cannot have an answer. The human condition is incapable of finding an answer, not intellectually and not emotionally. And yet, in a future time, in the future time at the end of times when Moshiach comes, Isaiah says, You will say on that day, Thank you, God, for making me suffer. Because then you will get the answer. We don't have it today. We don't understand it. But in the future time, we will understand it. And the Rebbe said many times that we, as Jews, we work towards the coming of Moshiach. We await and we hope the coming of Moshiach. We constantly await and pray for it and follow God's commandments in order to hasten and bring closer the coming of Moshiach. And um, it's a fundamental part of Judaism. We've done some classes on it before about the belief in the coming of Moshiach. But the Rebbe said that why should a person feel the need for the end of times to come, for Moshiach to come, for us to end our life as we know it and usher in this new era. Why should we want to do it? Because we as humans should feel the need to end suffering, but not just to end suffering, to understand suffering. We want to understand once and for all, why is it happening? How can God do this? The pain and the feeling of suffering should make us, motivate us, not only to want to do something about the current suffering, but to end suffering altogether, to bring a total end to it, to bring a time of perfect peace and tranquility when there will be no more human suffering. And that is why we anticipate, and a fundamental belief in Judaism is to anticipate and to wait for the final coming of Moshiach.